is Bat Dance went to number one this week, and his album Batman has been at number one for four weeks now. But as correspondent Dale Haramoto reports, there was more to the score of the movie than the songs on the charts. Danny Elfman, the lead singer of the group Oingo Boingo, is the musician who gave Batman its mood. I had that simple ba 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 bum, and all you had to hear is ba 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 bum bum, and there he is. There's Batman. Most what we're just going to introduce how we're changing the show to be centered okay. around uh, the only film of merit in your life, the only one we're podcasting about. And this really makes me look bad. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I have no like online presence, no presence in film Twitter. So. I always try to force people to go, like check out your Seahawks retweets. <laughs> Much I don't like, blame people not looking. No, or if they look, they're like, yeah, this is it's not for me. All right, so let's get into it. Um, Batman, 1989. Derek Stewart, you come on The Grand Gesture, and like a diva, like one of your favorite artists of all time, Prince, you say, this is exactly how I want the show to sound, and it has to be totally based around Batman, 1989. Was that that's pretty much how this idea came to fruition, right? I mean, essentially, in short. Or I, I kind of came in and said, we're out of ideas. We need to freshen this up and just focus on my one true love affair. Uh, and the only reason I even watch movies at all is pretty much because of, of that very first Bat film. So, And I think the only question I had was, uh, does a previous co-host of this, on this feed, Dave, have to be involved? And... We both in unison said no. <laughs> Does not. And I was sold. Force his hand. But he will make a final appearance where we revel in his podcast death on the show on this very episode. But he's not going to get to talk about Batman. That's reserved for us. That's our time. So I think, I don't think you and I had decidedly different experiences with this movie because I always sort of referenced it as my generations and by my generation i know you like to lie on the podcast and say that that's decades removed from your generation but i was told people like oh that was like my star wars like it must have been what it was like in 77 for a new hope before it was even called a new hope because it's the first memory i have as a child of being aware of a movie coming not just like my parents took me to the movies and it was a cartoon or a Disney movie or what have you. And I enjoyed myself. Uh, like I, I remember seeing uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which was in this same year. But I had no awareness of it existing. I was just like, oh, another Indiana Jones movie. Thank you for taking me to the movies. But Batman was inescapable like that summer. And it feels like it truly brought upon, for better or worse the event films that we have today. I know there were Star Wars and there was Jaws that sort of set the standard for what a mainstream blockbuster could be in the 70s. But this was like an event stats thing before anyone actually sat down to watch the film proper, just from the teaser alone. I think, and I agree with you, um, you're, you're right. We are decades apart mm -hmm. in, in maturation, yeah. especially. Easy Rider. Biological <laughs> age. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You love Giant because you watched it uh, in theaters. Um, I tried to emulate James Dean. 
my high school years. Punch married man. That's fine. Um, for me, it was, uh, you know, I was I was born in, in 1988. And so I didn't have, a, you know, this, I didn't know that this film existed until... Too fucking stupid to be a Too stupid. A stupid, <laughs> dumb baby. Yes. Um, but I, it was a weird uncovering of, of the film, uh, kind of slowly up until it was probably around 92 or 93. Um, I, I remember being a kid and, uh, I'd started watching like Batman, the animated series, uh, from the very first episode on, I remember uh, my sister or someone like, uh, just turned it on, uh, the, the, the first, uh, episode on leather wings, I believe it was called. And that wasn't even my first foray into Batman. I, I remember my mother would watch like the Adam West series um, that would just kind of be on uh, randomly at, at certain points. I saw a, a Batman emblem on a, a shirt of, of my father's that was tucked into a drawer. Um, and so I had no idea that, that Tim Burton's Batman existed, right? I, I know about the cartoon. I know about the, the 60s series and I come across uh, the VHS cover in a Walmart, probably around four or five years old. Just the symbol. Just the symbol. The, the minimal. Gold- yeah, you know what this is. Yeah, you know what this is. You don't have a lot of understanding of of, of uh, symbols at, at the age of four, obviously. But for me, uh, that in particular, I knew immediately what that was, um, and that was like the first time I'd ever begged my parents, like, like, can I take this home with me? And uh, it really just set the tone, like for in a lot of ways, my entire life as far as archetypes that I really like looked up to and had some. Um, intimate connection with, if you can, with, with this type of stuff. Um, and looking back on it, you're, you're right. It was a, a foundation for a lot of how we we view um, uh, blockbusters, action films, uh, films that, that uh, someone that the age of five can go to or enjoy and someone that's 35. They can be in the same place, um, kind of absorbing this content that's that had already been around for 60 or 70 years. So some, everyone already had a frame of reference, including me, who is four and only knows that from an emblem on a shirt. And so uh, I, I think that's why it's a worthy film um, to, to really delve into. And you can connect it with pretty much every uh, summer blockbuster that that came after that. Listen I think that's you. what we're gonna some, like a attempt to do. Yeah, like uh, there we go. I I, yeah, we're gonna see various um well first off sequels in this franchise, but also sure uh other attempts at franchise starters that really want to emulate kicking off this type of craze, which we've seen some like when you were talking about the emblem, like uh the two thousand two Spider Man. Uh reminds me of that too, where it was very much like you know you've wanted this for so long, and now we're going to give you the "quote unquote" real version. Finally, like you've you've right. seen more childlike versions, and I think next week's episode because we're we're not going to do this as a pure minute by minute. Obviously, we've not even talked um, about the first. Like I think we're going to break these down to about a minute and a half. That being said, on this episode, the first minute and a half is still in the credits, as great as they are, with <laughs> Danny Elfman's score and looking at that symbol as you sort of the camera like sort of pans around this model. Not a lot to talk about. But we're going to try to extract some sort of theme that we can tie into another film that hope to emulate the success of Batman. And so we've got uh, a race. We're going to attempt to do 89 blockbusters to sort of challenge that that notion of, of I guess, hitting the zeitgeist uh, like Tim Burton's Batman did in 1989. And um, 
boy, I wish we had a better guest for the first episode, but <laughs> I promised you episode one, this is it. This is all you have to listen to with Dave as uh, we talk about the abyss. That's a fitting title for our, our guest, for your <laughs> your vanquished <laughs> podcast foe. Maybe a wish that Dave floats off. <laughs> and we never see him again. <laughs> but we are going to hear from him. So now let's, let's cue the clip of uh, some character that can make Dave sound relatively appealing. So I've got a plan. What's the plan? I drowned and you told me back to the rig. No. No. Yes, this water. No. Only a couple of degrees above freezing. I go into deep hypothermia. My blood will go like ice water. Right? My body systems will slow down. They won't stop. Then... You told me back and I can, I can be revived after... Maybe 10 or 15 minutes. Lynch, put this on. Minutes. You put no, it on. It's the only way. You just put this on. Put this on. You know I'm right. Please. It's the only way you've got all the stuff on the rig to do this. Put this on. But please. This is insane. Oh my God. I know. Okay. It's the only way. Here, hold this. Hold on. You can do this, you know. You can do this. Oh, God, Liz. I know. Don't you, lady? So joining us for uh, this first uh, deep dive, a deep dive we're attempting to do over 20 minutes <laughs> into James Cameron's uh, misunderstood or just missing masterpiece, Dave, because I think this is why I wanted to have you on, because you seem to be one of the few that is uh, really wanting physical media still, and this one cannot be found. Yeah, it is nowhere to be found. I guess it's now on uh, Amazon Prime um, for you terrible non-physical media users uh but i'm just mad at you now for using the term deep dive with the abyss so you've just like ruined this whole episode from the introduction <laughs> so thanks for that shout out to atlantic screen connection which came back for one glorious that. episode <laughs> that was their tagline they recorded like 18 months ago that's the mike <laughs> deniston special it they're, is they're stealing my bits <laughs> i don't actually know your feelings on the movie itself i don't believe derek had ever seen it Am I correct? Never seen it. Uh, so just you finished get, it. So, <laughs> so excited for it. You also got to see it in pristine, uh, what was it, like 4 by 3 4 by like 3 Standard def box that Amazon Prime is providing. Uh, I actually feel bad about that because I got excited because I texted Derek. I'm like, hey, we're going to record on this this weekend. And look, it's on a streaming platform. Like, that's rare. It says it's in HD. How about that? <laughs> and I looked at it and I'm like, no, I'm going to go back to watching my legal copy because at least it's an anamorphic widescreen. So, uh, Derek, your first impressions of this, uh, being a complete newbie, Dave, 
uh, is in the fanboy club just to own it. I don't know if he actually likes the movie, but he wants to hold and touch Who it. Who needs to like a movie? I just want it. <laughs> just want to buy it. Yeah. All right. So you want my opinion or Dave's? Yeah, because we, well, we, we know Dave is a. We don't really want Dave's opinion anymore. Okay. Dave's material's done. It's That's true. So... <laughs> give you 90 seconds of gold now you go oh god I, that is i think this movie for me is is kind of hard to uh sum up uh any like real perspective on what i think about it it was how do i say not that deep of a film not there to we go on, there we go on, but there's just uh i mean there there's just a lot of there's a lot going on throughout and there are times at which i, I don't entirely know that there's a seamless like arc with, with the story. Um, you know, there's uh, characters that I see pop in and I don't know who they are. And then they return like 20 or 30 minutes later. Are you talking for, about the guy that was in the coma that comes back for yeah, a, a heroic moment? <laughs> the one that like opens the door and I was like, I have no idea who, you, oh, you're that guy. Oh, that okay. guy. <laughs> you're that guy. So I'm like, I'm just picking like specific things like randomly because that's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of how I felt watching it uh, uh, throughout. But, but I don't know if I have like a lot of new uh, insight to give to a what, 30, how old is this film? 33 or 32? Yeah, it came 30. out the end of the summer uh, of Batman and was not quite the success that Batman was. But then, like with, the, I guess, a lot of Ridley Scott joints, the special edition, which came out four years later. And that's actually, I think, the first one I saw. I remember like the Sci-Fi Channel playing the special edition a lot because... And I don't know if Derek is privy to this, but because uh, the Amazon Prime copy is the theatrical cut, but the the tidal wave is kind of what I remembered the most. Uh, and I felt stupid because I was actually on YouTube today just trying to like find what the different ending was yeah. uh, because I was too lazy to scrub it on Amazon Prime <laughs> all the way through and then gave up. But basically the tidal wave sequence and reading some of the reception to it from the critics uh, most of the negativity upon its release, I guess, for to, to give it that reputation of misunderstood masterpiece, uh, is that the movie just kind of stops. Like it's like we meet we meet uh, E.T. under the sea. Right. <laughs> uh, they seem to be very fond of the romance angle, which Dave showed up today to talk about at length. I don't know why on the grand gesture. <laughs> Who would have thought? But they really wanted Ed Harris to get back together with his his wife, and they spare him. Uh, and it kind of, I guess, deletes uh, the 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 broader appeal of this right. this romance, and that it saves humanity at large. Uh, it's a little cornballish, I guess. It's it's actually, and I'll toss this back to you, Dave, because you're certainly more a member of film Twitter than myself or Derek. Uh, I think Derek Sadly, is yes. just Seahawks Twitter <laughs> as he's dressed for today on this. Derek just Sunday. pops up to like insult me every, That's every three it. weeks. That's the part of Twitter I, I like. And then I vanish again. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's cheesy in a way that it's actually surprising to me that cinephiles really champion this film. Do you think it is the fact that it's missing from like physical media uh, more so than the content itself, or or do you think it's actually the the special edition that uh, gave it that sort of legacy? I think um, a big part of it is the fact that you know you can't buy it anywhere. Like there's been every time, like you know, film Twitter always put out these like questions, these prompts, and one of them is always like, you know, if you could have any movie on physical media that isn't available, what would it be? And you know, the abyss comes up a lot. Um, so I think that's a big part of it. I also find it really interesting that film Twitter seems to love this movie so much because I think it's got a lot of things that people there tend to complain about a lot. 
Because it's mm-hmm. like it's very it's a very James Cameron movie, like in every way. It has all the negatives and all the positives. Like people complained, of course, about Avatar because that became like the really cool thing to do. There was like, man, that movie's a piece of shit. It's just Pocahontas in space or whatever it is. You know, it's just people attacked it. And one of the things they attacked was like him just explaining everything, like having these long scenes of exposition. It's so so you idiots in the crowd get it right. And this has a lot of that, but no one ever complains about that. Like, there's the whole sequence with, like, the, you know, the breathing underwater and the rat. And it's like, it goes on for a long time. Where it's just like, let me explain to you what's going to happen later in the movie when we clearly are going to give this to somebody. And Derek, as you mentioned, you know, characters popping up, disappearing, then popping up again. And camera's just kind of like, yeah, but I'm just going to do it because it's fun. Like, I don't care. I don't I don't yeah. care. I'll explain the rat breathing underwater for 19 minutes. But this character who you were introduced to, I'm not going to bother doing that. But right. Cameron is really good at the big budget spectacle. You can call the romance cornball. I think the end of it definitely is. But like, you know, he really goes in for the kind of over the top romance. Like even in things like Terminator, like that whole that whole series is founded on a romance. That's all it is. And this whole movie is founded on that. He goes as far to like literally when, you know, the ex-wife or soon to be ex-wife first shows up again to like essentially mark his main character as still caring about him. Like he reaches into a blue toilet bowl to grab the ring and his hand is stained blue. Like it's for like the, the rest of the is, film. It's yeah, stained blue. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The man is not subtle. Right. But I think when he really goes for it, that's when it works. Like when you have Ed Harris trying to save her life. Like, even though it's like, you know, borderline abusive, you know, <laughs> that is one of my favorite it, scenes but in all works. film. It, uh, and it was so fun to watch with my wife. Uh, yeah. Calling her a bitch and slapping her like, like Prince Charming that he is not a kiss that awakens her, but slap the shit out of her. Zapper again. Do it! Charge it. Do it! Charge. 
Come on, baby. Clear. Come on, baby. Clear. Come on, breathe, baby. God damn it, breathe. God damn it, you bitch! You never backed away from anything in your life! Now fight! 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 Right now! Do it! Fight, god damn it! Fight! 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 That's it, Lindsay. That's it, Lindsay. You can do it. That's it, Lindsay. Come on back, baby. Come on. You can do it, baby. I did look to my wife right after that, after that was over and was like, did that work for you? And I just got a simple no. <laughs> no, it did not. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where that's where Cameron is really in his element, though. Like, I, I don't think he was ever meant to be a subtle filmmaker. I don't think he's ever made a subtle film. He goes big, and he, he goes for the whole runtime. Like, that is just who he is. And even some of the, like, side characters, you know, they're, none of them are real characters at all. They're all just stereotypes and ridiculous, even, you know, whether you're talking about, you know, the guy with the rat who believes in every, you know, every QAnon thing he's ever heard. Or that doesn't age have... well now. The conspiracy oh, guy is no it... longer charming. It makes me wonder how the, the X-Files would uh, would be now because Mulder – I think that still works because he's anti-government. Right. And I think a lot of people are anti-government, so it, it kind of works. But things like conspiracy theory, even if it wasn't Mel Gibson <laughs> in that movie, I don't think work quite as well. But in a lot of ways, it doesn't, you know, and even, you know, of course, the villain, Michael Biehn, who's great, but it's over the top. And it's very it's very clear from the beginning, like even the first shot where he's in the background, just like glaring. At the oh, camera, the mustache. Like, he's clearly. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, he's definitely going to be a good guy. Like, you just know that this guy is going to snap. Um, but when he does, I think it, it works cinematically. So I think Cameron knows what he's doing as far as doing all these blatant things on a big screen. But if you're looking for subtlety, uh, you might be watching the wrong filmmaker. Derek, did you like the uh, going back to what Dave was saying with the, the rat, which was a little uncomfortable to watch, especially I don't know if either one of you like like tried like read up on this or like there's like a really cool um i think it was on the dvd release it was like it's like a 50 minute documentary called uh was it called under pressure how about that for a title dave um where I'm basically sure queen would love that title it's great <laughs> james cameron the crew the actors all talk about how fucking miserable it was to make this movie and never yeah. again uh which i admired there, there wasn't someone saying like well it wasn't that bad they were like no it sucked it sucked <laughs> and the only thing that was good about it was that it sucked for james cameron too that he was also <laughs> miserable it sucked and it didn't make money this is the worst <laughs> like... but you know some of the stuff you're, you're talking about the lack of subtlety like derek do you mind or like that the the military guy who really could do the things that he does just based on his profession based on his outlook on life do you like that they kind of tie it to him his handshaking and him starting to lose it because of being that far you know uh in this deep dive of the abyss 
tape. Because apparently that was the, the actor's suggestion. That wasn't Cameron's yeah. original intention. And I wondered if that was even necessary. Because it's like, this guy could just be an asshole anyway. Well, I think Cameron tends to be so fond of, of being and and being a uh, less than asshole in most of the films that he's in, right? I mean, he, he's usually playing the good guy. So if, if you give that allowance to kind of let him off the hook uh, in some form or fashion that – um, at his core, he's not, he's really not a bad human being or a malicious human being. He's just carrying out a job. But now he's been compromised um, by this uh, neurological yada 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 that's that's caused this being so far down. And he wouldn't be this far had he had just listened um, to the one uh, woman who knew what she was talking about, which is. Also, part of the, the difficulty that they have is is him being um, kind of told or commanded um, in, in a way from someone of the opposite sex, right? That that seems to be an ongoing issue for a lot of, of men in this profession, or both professions, I guess you could say. And so you have that situation where she's the only person saying, hey, listen, I know that you're up on this and you're a tough guy and you have this level of awareness. Um, however a lot of people think that they're going to be okay in these circumstances and they're not. And he well, still she says it's of, random, right? She's like yeah, one in absolutely. 20. She's like, no one can help it. You can't really prepare for it. Right. And he goes and, back to ma'am. We've trained for this. Exactly. We did the exercises. We took the <laughs> <Yeah>. classes. <laughs> we ran the numbers and we know we're fine. And so you have, you have him actually, you know, having to deal with this the entire way through, but denying it because he was given this information by someone he dislikes so much or disrespects so much. Um, and I think that's like an, it's an ongoing theme between the two of them that they probably could have played out a little bit more towards the end. Like when he, when his actual end comes, um, I, I feel as though they could have explored the fact that he, that it came because he really just did not give her, you know, the, uh, you know, reverence and credit for knowing what she was talking about, right? Like that's how it ends for him is he's just a guy who refuses to listen to an expert, which is interesting for all times. 2020, uh, baby. There you go. <laughs> May we all drift off. Um, <laughs> that's also like one of the interesting things about the movie. And I can see how someone on initial watch. So in this case would be Derek. It doesn't have like a standard sort of structure to it. Like the villain of the piece drifts off to his death, um, <laughs> implodes. There's still an hour left. Yeah, there's an hour left in the movie. I, I completely forgot about the aliens. So what, what what did you make of the aliens? Because there is a way I could see some studio interference. And I actually read that the water tentacle, which is sort of iconic for this movie, it actually really works. I don't know if the aliens do, the sort of purple dayglow aliens, but the water tentacle works. Uh, they actually structured that uh, in the film so that no one ever made reference to it in case the special effects weren't convincing. They could just cut that entire mm. sequence. Right. Uh, strange that that worked. And then when we got to aliens, people were like, eh, <laughs> kind of <laughs> silly. What did you make of, cause if you just did this as a pure thriller, like I could see a version of it where maybe they see something strange, but it remains somewhat vague and unexplained that they know there's something out there, but they don't actually have, um, this weird uh, Zoom water conference with the aliens where they <laughs> <laughs> they tell them exactly why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, do you see yourself preferring that type of movie, Derek, or did you like the uh, sort of Spielbergian alien silliness? 
No, I didn't really care much for that. I cannot believe your answer. <laughs> Did you like this bullshit, Derek? <laughs> so Derek, let's talk about how much this sucked, right? Well, okay. Um, let me let me let me correct myself then. Cause I think like I think of something like Close Encounters, that movie really works. Like I, I think that Spielberg for whatever all of his aliens are kind of silly. E. T. I'm not saying anything bad about those. I'm just wondering if for whatever reason, Spielberg's X-Men mutant power is that he's able to achieve and make people put blinders onto that silliness. Whereas in this case, I don't know if Cameron does. I, I feel like the technical science stuff and the thriller aspect I'm really into, I don't know if I'm into the aliens as much. I think it's kind of back to Dave's point of with Cameron, right? He goes big, he's grand. Uh, it's a great display. And visually speaking, especially for its time, it's it's really interesting um, when you see any of any part of the alien aesthetic, I guess you could say. And it kind of makes me think about uh, Cameron had, had said something similar to the uh, he wanted this to be like a 2001, but underwater. Don't know if he quite achieves that, but some That's of pretty the, lofty I, goal anyway. Funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. right. Um, but, you know, some of those really engaging visuals, um, uh, I think, apply there. At the same time, if you are going to go that grand, you're potentially going to miss out on uh, just kind of pulling the viewer in on subtlety. And I think maybe that's where it hurts a little bit. Like you were talking about with Spielberg, a lot of, you know, like, like close encounters, a lot of, of, of the interest is about what you're not being, uh, you know, what you're not getting to observe, right? The unforeseen. And with this, even the first scene when, when you see like the, the alien structure like rise up, it is like right in your face, right? I mean, it is blaring and flashing lights. And for a while, I think that's engaging and super cool in its own way. Um, but then I go for an hour and I don't see anything related to um, <laughs> uh, the, the alien at all. And it pops back up, and it's just the same visuals, right? So it's like, they okay. Were in a coma, Derek. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, have you seen both the theatrical and the special edition at this point? Yeah. Um, I hadn't seen the theatrical in a long time, so that's actually what I watched yesterday because I've seen the extended edition. I think that may be the only version I've ever seen, mm -hmm. actually, because uh, this wasn't a movie I don't – I. I mean, I technically was old enough to see movies in the theater. I think I was 10 when this came out. I saw Batman, but I didn't see this in the theater. Uh, I think I feel like I made the right choice. But um, You and a lot of the rest of the country as well, yes, I think, made that choice. Exactly. Um, I do feel like, especially in this theatrical version, um, the kind of the aliens at the end, it does kind of rub me the wrong way. Like, it does feel just like a deus ex machina, like, oh, and now all of our problems are solved because we have nice rainbow aliens. And I was like, what? Well, and, Self-threatening aliens in the special yeah. edition. Yes, and it's um, it's it's a situation where I every time I watch it, I honestly I forget about the those aliens. I remember the like water tentacle. That mm -hmm. stuff works, and that's the stuff that's most memorable. So, like you said, Mike, I kind of wish that they had known that that was going to work because mm. that's the special effect that really works. These like, I don't know, these like see-through shrimp that are just like wandering around see -through the shrimp. place. I'm like, I wow. just, you just made my letterbox review there, Dave. What's that? <laughs> Knock it off half a star. That's really disturbing. <laughs> I, mean, I'm wrong. That's, I was like, uh, you know, and I think, um, you know, you had mentioned the whole comparison to 2001, and I think, you know, big shock here, Kubrick is going for grander ideas rather than grander spectacle. And right. it's like, James Cameron, know your lane. You are not Stanley Kubrick, and that's okay, because nobody is. But just, 
let's pump the brakes a little bit on the like I want to make 2001 underwater. Like you are, you're just not there, and you never will be, and that's okay. <laughs> not Dave. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I Wait, mean, are you going to tell tag me from this episode? Is that the hill you want to die on? Is that where you want to drown in the deep waters of the abyss? Dave, now wow. you're just down in the mucky muck with me. I would think uh, Dave is making a safe assumption now because Cameron has really hitched, it seems like, the rest of his filmmaking career to Avatar sequels that will never come out. Seeing the abyss, like putting it in the context of 89... Like, if there was a film Twitter back then, I could see this being one of the more heavily discussed films. Yeah. Because coming off of Aliens, this is, like, you can see that it's from that same filmmaker. He he really likes having this group of seemingly blue-collar types. Like, he's very... Michael Bay also apes this later. Not I was just Armageddon. Like, this is Armageddon before it Yeah. Um, and you, you don't get the impression that James Cameron or Michael Bay have ever in any walk of life been considered blue collar before, <laughs> <laughs> but they right. really seem to aspire to have characters that are that like the everyman sort, uh, but him grafting that onto maybe not the grandest of ideas, Dave Kubrick, <laughs> but it's certainly asking maybe simple questions, but asking more questions than I think something like aliens now, I don't think it's as good as Aliens because that movie kicks it's ass. Than how many guns does it take <laughs> yeah. to kill an alien? That's yeah. <laughs> but Maybe you know, stick with that. That's great. <laughs> I mean, he's trying to go for like a, a sort of a mech fight uh, in the ocean. Although, yes. as me and my wife were watching it, I was wondering, why are both parties in this fight thinking that the best thing to do is just to ram each other? There's got to be a better way. You're underwater. If this goes wrong, it goes real wrong. <laughs> You know, even in the Fast and Furious movies, I don't think that they end every car sequence with, let's just play chicken and just see who doesn't <laughs> die. And they're doing it at the bottom of the ocean. You know, I might like that better. Well, you've got a few <laughs> more. They're going to space, right? Isn't that what's okay. happening with the Fast yes. and Furious chicken series? Chicken space. That's what I want out of that so movie. So Kubrick may still be toppled. Yeah, we'll see. We'll oh, see what, God damn it. <laughs> see what happens. All right, I wanted to to kind of have some sort of theme for this episode. And I, at least Dave says, I don't. And Derek actually accused me of this too. Cause Derek was uh, shocked at Dave's presence, which I knew that was the only way to get Derek to actually attend this recording session. Yeah, the way he comes and sees me. So Dave sitting in the corner playing keyboards. That was the only way we we're going to get to do this. <laughs> but I want to talk a little bit about commitment. And I said, that's kind of like the theme of this particular episode. Cause it's a commitment that Derek and I are trying to make to, talking around Batman 89 uh, just long enough that people possibly forget like the aliens in the abyss. Like, Oh yeah, this was supposed to be in regards to that film, but we're going to talk about 89 other movies. This film, like it's pretty dramatic how quickly every character commits to an idea here. Now they might have conflicting ideas. You, you have the military presence, you have this blue collar crew, you have this married couple that were on the outs, but like when they are pushed at all, they're quickly buying in to things like the alien thing. There's a little bit of, Hey, maybe we should record it to convince everyone. And then the movie's like, fuck all that. We'll just have a water <laughs> tentacle come up and wave at you and make funny faces. <laughs> like the military guys, there's a little bit of pushback of like, Hey, we don't actually have the authority to drop this nuke down yes. into a huge trench. And the, the response back is, but we don't not have authority. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a new who's gonna go? So, who's gonna uh, notice? <laughs> so it is simplistic. But for a film of this wrong time, I think I appreciate it. 
Uh, and I'll, I'll toss it to the, the, the new voice first, Derek, since this is a, a first time watch. What did you make of that? Did you think it was overly simplistic from a screenwriting perspective? Or do you think that it's just we have a lot of material material here and we just need to get to it? We just need characters to commit to these things. It's probably both, quite honestly. Uh, they, they probably weren't that invested in um, really allowing for things to like develop over time, right? That's not what type of movie this is, right? It's 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 just kind of what you see is it, literally what you see is what you get with with a lot of the um, the entire outline. However, you also have a situation where. Um, we we are moving in so many different directions with the uh, tensions between the the seals and the oil rig folks and the love story that's that's a mesh in here and the the aliens over here and so it's like we don't really have time to have uh, committee meetings about our decisions uh, that are taking place. It is a let's give one line of dialogue in which someone is somewhat combative about an idea. Okay, let's move on. And and that's how they have to move. Also, it's just so the audience to... can say, "Hey, why didn't someone question this?" And they question right. it, and then it's over. We gave okay, it good service. point. It's fine, <laughs> right? Because they need ten minutes, uh, you know, for a rat to be underwater. Um, and so that's important. <laughs> Having a, a conversation about you know this this uh, uh, extraterrestrial life form only really needs like twenty or thirty seconds of, of buy in from everybody, <laughs> and so. And then those are the choices that you make, I guess. Uh, but but quite honestly, I, th- I think that really does play a big role. It's we have a lot of stuff that we have to cover in two hours and 20 minutes. Um, and so we'll do the arguing for a second, but we'll jump. And that literally is what you see like at every turn is you have one person that is arguing the point and then they cave or it's like in scene and then they just move on and do it. And so, yeah, I, I don't know if there's any other like deeper rationale as to why that was a decision. I'm going to posit that James Cameron and his wife were getting a divorce uh, at this point. His producer, Galen Hurd, was also very successful in her own right and seems to be like a big part of his early success. Um, <laughs> it seems to be kind of fantasy from Cameron's perspective on if life could just be easier. Like basically, if you could just do things my way. Like as soon as I speak it, you say, oh yeah, that's a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) If only life was this way that people would just go along with my demands. Am I reading too much into that, Dave? Actually, both of you are professional therapists, um... so I don't know why Dave is more important than Derek, but he just didn't get to talk last. How about that? Ask the world. I don't know. Oh boy. Glad this is a video podcast. Anyway, um... No, actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I had that thought as I was watching the movie, just how interesting it is that you have, given what you know of (laughs) James Cameron's many relationships and marriages, like watching Ed Harris and Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio kind of go back and forth. I'm glad you said that last name. Yeah, I knew I knew you wouldn't. So. I know I watched the Under Pressure documentary and I noticed James Cameron just called her M.E. And I'm like, he struggles like I do. He just just shortens it. Maybe it just takes too long. It's like much like the movie. There's just too much to get through. I don't yeah, have time to yeah. say your last name. But exactly. Go with M.E. Um, uh, but you bring up this idea of like this immediate buy-in. I think 
I think the only reason it works actually is because of that relationship. Because when he when she first shows up, like it's immediately combative, combative. He's you know talking down to her. She's yelling at him. You're like, okay, we get it. It's a it's a bad marriage. Okay, but then when she shows up and other people start to say bad stuff to her, he immediately defends her. Mm-hmm. So you just have to know at that point, like, okay we're just going to go with what happened in the last 10 seconds. Like you can't even think about what they were arguing about 10 minutes ago, because we have moved on to a new crisis. Like there's a nuclear warhead. Now there's an alien. Now, you know, they've stolen the little ship. Okay. We just got to move forward. And it is that type of movie. It's actually surprising how quickly this movie moves, given that it's depending on what version you watch is either 140 or 160, 170 minutes. Either way. It's a long movie, but like things are constantly being propelled forward. Mm -hmm. Like there's always something there's never a moment except for like maybe a couple of those extended dialogue scenes where they're explaining stuff to you where it's like you're like, okay, I don't know why this is happening. Like things are constantly being pushed forward. Mm -hmm. So I think it works in that sense for me up until the kind of deus ex machina end where I'm just like, oh, we're just we're just going to end it like that, huh? All right. Well. That's that's a choice, given all this action and all this drama. And then we're just going to have these aliens come in and be like, it's OK, though. Everything's cool. Everything's fine. Actually, all the emotion. That, you felt, don't worry about it. That's actually a great <laughs> point. I hadn't thought about that. The rapid pace at which they s- seem to move, at least with the storyline. But then when you know the aliens rise up, it's literally just a, a kiss. And then that's, I mean, that's, that's it. There's, there's no one saying, wow, look at the, like, people are like, oh, look, aliens. No one ever <laughs> yeah. told me about this. Like, but they all have like the, uh, and these are, you know, like, like Navy SEALs and folks that are in the military. And, uh, and so they're already, the, the whole film, they've been like really cautious about the outside threat. Right. Mm-hmm. But then the aliens rise up and most of them are like taking their hats off and like, wow, what a beautiful like, structure <laughs> that has risen. <laughs> You know, from beneath the depths of it, 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 <laughs> wonderful and, world James Cameron lives in. <laughs> it's so convenient. The military guys are, where's my fucking gun? <laughs> like, <laughs> Except for Bean. Bean might have been the only one in the right to be a little concerned about the outside. I'm glad we've got to the point where the villain is right. <laughs> this is <laughs> that's really that's really what Cameron's saying there. It's really dark, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer the version. I believe it's just maybe it's just in the special edition where uh, someone looks, I guess, at the top brass, whoever's <laughs> over this op- operation, and is like, "Looks like you boys are out of a job." And it's like, "What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what does that mean?" Crusader <laughs> thought he had a good burn right there at the end, and mm-hmm. <laughs> not really. So I think uh, wrapping this up, um, <laughs> if we can, because I mean, glad you're the host of the show. Well, luck. <laughs> I, I feel like very much like the end of the abyss, where it's like, well, yep, the sea creatures they lift the boat up, and what else That's is there to do? Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're like me. I, you're just looking for someone else to be like. So uh, what now? And since I am the host, I will just end it. <laughs> Play the music. <laughs> Me and Derek will wrap this up Bro. by talking shit okay. about our guest, uh, <laughs> Dave. The usual. I appreciate and, that. And uh, you can find Dave. Where can you find Dave? Good question. <laughs> God damn it, Derek. I like Derek. You can just show up at my house. Don't do that. Don't show up at my house. You're all probably infected. Don't show up. Uh, you can find me on the Hellscape that is Twitter. That's where all my podcasts and writing and all that stuff is. It's just Dave A G and N E. So just follow me there. Dave A G, as me and James Cameron would yes. say. <laughs> Go to at Dave A G. 
I wish my Twitter handle could be that short. That would be amazing. Just we can DG. find you a new handle, Dave. You, you put. I love to find Twitter handles, so I will task myself with giving you a Do proper it. one. Do it. I would appreciate that. That way, all my patients can't find me on social media. That would probably be good. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, probably a good idea. All right, that'll do it for the abyss. How important is the musical score to a film? There's some films where the music really has to carry the audience through the movie, has to tip them off as to what to feel, and and uh, gives an expression to the scenes. is also Elfman the performer. His band Oingo Boingo has been rocking audiences for the last 10 years. I love doing rock and roll, and nobody believes me when I say my first priority is still Oingo Boingo, it's still the band.